Good morning. Today, for our sermon, we're going to take a little bit of a look at the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, today's going to be in the version in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, it's another one of those stories that some would call a miracle story. And it's one of those where we always get tripped up on it. Uh, did it really happen? How did five loaves and two fish turn into this uh, feeding all these people? And we get caught up on the, the mechanics of it. Because the mechanics of it don't jive with science. It doesn't seem scientifically possible to just multiply food like that. Uh, and of course, the literalness then becomes the whole debate. That becomes all we talk about. Uh, and one side then will double down and say, absolutely, it was a supernatural miracle. God intervened in history, changed the rules of physics and chemistry, and did this miracle. It's proof of Jesus' power. And then the other side will try to explain it away and come up and say something like, well, it was just a story added in later to make Jesus look good. It's an editorial. Uh, now, you can go down the rabbit hole and spend an insane amount of time on this debate. But I always like to remind people that when the Gospel writers were writing, they didn't understand science as we have it today. They didn't understand literal writing. They weren't trying to put their story down like a human tape recorder and record everything exactly as it really happened. They tended to do a lot of what we now today call embellishing, uh, exaggerating, mythologizing, where they would take a story that they'd seen and then they'd add things to it. And to us, to us, that's a form of lying or changing the story. It's not historical. You're supposed to record just exactly what happened. All right, I get it. That's how we look at it. But for the ancients, they were trying to tell a point. They were trying to make a point, maybe many points. I remember with this story one summer back in college. I was a camp counselor, uh, and I know I'm always giving camp stories, but they're good. Uh, so, we're sitting in the big dining hall up north, and one of our Bible lessons for that year that had come to us from the ELCA, they would send us a Bible study curriculum for the summer. And one of the days in this curriculum had this story, the feeding of the 5,000. And up front there's a pastor and he's trying to teach us camp counselors what this story means, how we can teach it to the kids who come to us, and in the materials that had come to us from the ELCA, there was a suggestion. It was a suggestion. It wasn't, this is the only way you must teach it. It was, kind of, it was a suggestion that was offered in the curriculum. And it said that when you look at the feeding of the 5,000, one way you could look at the story was something like this. Uh, Jesus came with the disciples, and they only had five loaves and two fish and they had this big crowd. So what did they do? They, uh, they passed out the food they had, and when the people saw the generosity, uh, saw the food being given, they all said, maybe I can share what I have too. So everybody dug into their pockets and their purses and pulled out all the extra food they had with them, and everybody shared all the food they had with them, and that's how everyone got fed. It wasn't really a supernatural thing as much as it was just uh, 
everybody dug in and shared. Sharing is caring, something like that. And meanwhile, uh, there was all this debate rolling around this and, and some of the more fundamentalist counselors were really upset. No, you're supposed to teach them that this is a miracle. And then the, the real liberal types are like, well, yeah, you know, maybe the whole story isn't true. Uh, and then there was this one smart aleck blonde kid sitting in the back um, and had kind of a weird Swedish name. And he sat back there and started asking questions about the, the alternative version of the story, saying things like, so really you say there were all these people coming around and they all just happened to have an extra lunch with them or they ate half their sandwich and stuffed it in their pocket and, and everybody's digging extra food out of their pocket and they all told Jesus they were hungry but they really had this extra food in their pocket and how long was that food there and who really wants to eat a sandwich that's been stuffed in someone's pocket for God knows how many hours in the heat. Are you really sure that's what happened? And this smart aleck blonde kid was told to quit being a smart aleck and think about what the whole point was. And I get it. You know, the people designing the study were trying to explain the miracle in a way so that kids who were used to everything being exact and scientific would not immediately, you know, freak out and go, oh yeah, you know, the Bible's all a bunch of lies. I get what they were trying to do, but at some point you have to go with what the Bible says. And the Bible do doesn't say that everyone just reached into their pockets and pulled out their leftover food that they'd stuffed in there. This isn't like the junior high lunchroom, you know, where everybody's got yesterday's sandwich still in their lunch bag. And uh, so, I think there is a lot of truth to it. Without getting any more hung up on it, let's take a closer look at it. What is it trying to tell us? What can we learn from this? First, what do we know? It says Jesus is surrounded by a big crowd. And they followed him to wherever he was to hear him teach. It says a lot of them were sick, so they were also coming there for healing. They were coming for food and for healing. And we know that Jesus was talking and talking so long that as he kept going and going, the sun was started going down and the disciples realized that this was getting dinner time and Jesus, you got a lot of people in front of you and they're going to start getting hungry. Why don't we just call it for the day and send them into town to go buy some food? And Jesus, Jesus doesn't want to send them away. So he asks the disciples, he looks at them and says, how much how much food did you bring? And they have five loaves and two fish. Now remember, they're fishermen, so carrying fish with them probably wasn't that crazy of a thing. But let's read what happens next. Starting at verse 19. So Matthew 14, starting at verse 19. Then Jesus ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. So Jesus blesses the bread. And then everyone eats. 
So what happens in between? What happens in that space there? Well, that's what we want to know. What happened? Did the fish just appear from thin air? Was there a big light like a transporter that brought all that food down from heaven? Uh, and how much did everyone eat? And who passed it out? And could they see the bread and the fish growing in front of their eyes? Or did it only happen when they closed the basket? Then they opened it. Oh, look, there's more. Ah, so many questions. And the Bible doesn't answer any of those. It completely leaves out the how. There's no explanation for what happened between giving out food and everyone getting enough. It's hard to believe that they cut five loaves and two fishes into 5,000 pieces. You know, Jesus, Jesus is the Messiah, but he's not Bobby Flay. You know, and I don't think it's an accident that the how got left out. Because it's not really the point. The point is something else. And we'll find that if we look at what it does say. It says that Jesus had great compassion for the crowd. So he looks out, he feels for them. He was healing and teaching, and a lot of them were sick, and they didn't have money, and he felt for them. He didn't view them as moochers or freeloaders, but he felt their pain. And it says... He didn't want to send them home to buy their own food, as the disciples had suggested. That would have been a good way to disperse the crowd, you know, run while they're shopping. But Jesus does it. It says he took what he had and blessed it and looked up to heaven. What blessing he said, we don't know. I figure it was some sort of prayer, asking God the Father to find a way to feed everyone. It says that Jesus gave it all away. And it doesn't say he had a plan for it. Maybe he did in his head, it doesn't say that. It looks like Jesus just acted on faith. Figured if he gave it all away, that God the Father would find a way to make it happen. It looks like he didn't have any plan for how he and the disciples were going to eat after giving all the food away. But that's what Jesus does. He just holds it up, says a prayer, and then he gives it all away. And everyone gets something to eat. I imagine there were some disciples sitting there grumbling about uh, how they're going to go hungry now that Jesus is giving all our food supply away. And Jesus doesn't seem to save anything for a rainy day. He doesn't save it for the next day. He doesn't save for him or the disciples. He just, he doesn't seem to have a backup plan. He just gives it all away and keeps moving. It's like he deliberately doesn't keep any, any reserves or any surpluses for a rainy day. He just gives it as soon as he gets it. And he trusts that God will make it work in the end. Now, that's a different way to live. And it's not how I'm going to advise you to plan for your retirement or your next air conditioner break. There, I'm going to tell you, get lots of reserves. You need to have savings and investments and contingency funds. In that matter, that stuff's the, it's the right thing to do.
But if you live your whole life that way, doing nothing but saving, saving, saving for some future thing that might happen, you end up like Ebenezer Scrooge, dying empty with lots of money before he has his visions, etc. So I know that in the third world, in a lot of uh, poor economies, people don't generally save a lot. And we in the first world often judge them for this, saying that you know if they were better at saving up money and stocking up and preparing for the future, that it would be easier to get out of poverty. But that can be tricky if by getting out of poverty, you meet, means coming up with $50,000 a year for four years, maybe six years, maybe eight years of college tuition, while at the same time paying your living expenses and your child care, also that someday in the future you can get this better job. And the hourly wages you make don't allow you enough money to save up. You'd be 80 by the time you'd have it saved, depending. Instead, people tend to give away and share and trade as soon as they get something. But when you need something, on the flip side, they tend to help you out. It's why a friend of mine, he used to go door to door uh, for this charity. And he would go, and this was the 90s, so he'd go door to door for this charity, and he said, he said it was very interesting, he said that the bigger the house, the less money he got. And he started feeling really bad because as the houses would get smaller and the incomes would go down, the, the donations went up. That there was an attitude of saving and an attitude of sharing. Basically, there's a lot of talk about biblically. I mean, biblically, there's a lot of talk about savings and planning. I, I'm not saying this is all an either-or thing here, but I am saying that Jesus himself very much erred on the side of faith-giving and generosity. He lived more in a third-world economy than a first-world economy. He would give to those who had little, and he would trust that God would grow and expand it. I like to think of this story as an example of believing in God's ability to make growth from our giving. Or maybe, put it another way, it's us believing in God's ability to grow through people. I mean, most people would not look at that crowd of sick and hungry people and say, you know, that's a really great investment of resources. Let's give them everything we have and just trust that something will work out. Jesus, I don't think most of us people would do that, but Jesus, he looks at that crowd, he has compassion on them, and he gives them everything he has. So instead of being a waste, Jesus' gift becomes a miracle. It's like God can see in the crowd what we can't see with human eyes because we see the poverty and we see the sickness and we see the struggling and we see the hunger, but God sees potential for growth. And instead of being a waste, it becomes a miracle. Or maybe it's a more basic stewardship truth. That money given is money grown. 
I, I'll tell you another story. I heard of a church uh, that was uh, over the years shrinking. There were plenty of people in the neighborhood. Neighborhood had changed a little. And uh, the church just didn't grow, couldn't grow. It kept shrinking and shrinking. They had a big building and they had a big endowment. So they had money enough that they could have just kept going and going and going for years and years as they got smaller and smaller. But here's the interesting thing they decided. They decided that instead of slowly just spending down this big endowment, that they were just going to go out with a bang. So they were going to spend themselves and give themselves out of existence, and then when they'd close, they'd all just go join another church. So this is what they did. They started, they started giving, and they set up all these different charities through the church. Then they started setting up funds for people, and then they said, you know what, we're only going to worship fewer times. I don't remember what it was, once or twice a month. The other times, we're all going to go out there, and we're going to be at the soup kitchen, and we're going to be on the street. And so this is what they did. They closed down all their programs, they closed down most of their worship, and they just spent their time serving the community and giving and giving and giving. And that endowment got spent and spent and spent and spent and spent. And here's the interesting thing. As they were out there giving and giving, people started asking questions. What are you guys doing? Why are you doing this? It's Sunday morning. Why are you out here on the street passing out whatever instead of in your church? And they would explain what they were doing. And then people started saying, wow, that sounds really cool. Can I help? After a while, enough people joined along to help that the church didn't have to close. Now, they decided deliberately to keep things. Things changed. They didn't go back to things the way they were. But they saved themselves by giving themselves away. They grew through giving. They looked at their community and said, we are going to take our five loaves and two fishes and we're just going to give it away and trust that God will make something happen of this. And they did, and God did make something happen. I can't guarantee that's going to happen everywhere, but it was kind of cool that it happened there. And of course, it wasn't their plan that this was going to be their turnaround strategy. They really were honestly planning on giving themselves away and closing down and just putting their future in God's hands. The story of the feeding of the 5,000 is not a story meant to teach you that God can bend the laws of physics and break the laws of chemistry and do supernatural things. Not that I doubt that God can do supernatural things. I, I, I'm just not sure that's the point of this story. That, but that the point of this story is more that Jesus is showing us that believing in those who no one believes in, having compassion on the needy, giving in generosity without the expectation of reward, without a plan, giving of yourselves and just putting yourself in God's hands, that these are the keys to growth in the kingdom of God. Amen.